Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim, and shalom to all our listeners. Shalom, Rabbi. Manashma. Baruch Hashem. Here we are two weeks, two weeks to go before Rosh Hashanah, which is just so amazing. This year went by very quickly, and uh, a year of... Um, Gosh, a year of a lot of change and some upheaval. And um, you know what? It's an interesting thing. But before we before we continue with this, let's take our cleansing breath because, for the benefit of all of those that would like to hear, we have our our cleansing breath of Elul. Shofar. Here we go. Yeah, well, you know, I think that that'll wake you up of a morning. Yeah, yeah really, it's it's like reveille, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We have Very to good. we have to really um, get in line and get ready. You know, um, one time not not long ago, in one of our broadcasts, you and I were talking about this concept of, you know, every person signing their own name into the book, and how that that is like. Um, our own testimony of how of how we spent the year, and basically, it's not Hashem deciding which book we're signed in, but it's our it's our own it's our own um, karma, as it were. Another really interesting idea about you know the the books are open is the way that the sages describe it. There's the book of life, and God forbid, the other book that's open, and Hashem is inscribing everyone in these books. And, you know, the holy sages, they say, you know, how is it possible to think that, that God would not inscribe someone's book, someone's name in the book of life? You know, it's not, it's not, um, doesn't make sense. And, and it's, and the idea is that every year there's like a new light coming into the world. It's a whole new, a whole new experience. It's a whole new existence. You know, the, the, there's a different configuration of, reality that is coming into the world every year. Every year the world has a new mandate. It's a new lease, as it were, on life and a new promise of fulfillment that Hashem is uh, is giving to the descendants of, of Adam on, on that day. And the thing is this, and this is what the Holy Arizal explains. I know you've heard of him. On the deepest level, he explains, you know what? The idea is not that Hashem would ever negate a person from the equation of, an, of the new year, but that we, this is so deep, you have to really open up your heart in the deepest way. We have to have, the person has to have the vessels to be able to contain the light of the new year. Person, There's a new light coming in. Can you receive it? It's not, it's not mm-hmm. up to Hashem, it's up to you. And the, and the, and the way that we uh, kind of um, build what we need the, in terms of the, of the instruments that we need to be able to receive the new configuration, the new light, is through our mitzvot, through our adhering to Hashem, through our desire to, do, to be the best people, to do the, the right thing. We create that infrastructure. We, we create that, that vessel, that kli, to hold the light. So it's like, what do you want from Him? It's like either you're in it or you're out of it. Either you're part of the program or you're not part of the program. Which, by the way, that idea of are you part of the program, are you not part of the program, that's very important to keep in mind when we begin to talk about the very difficult dichotomy of this week's Torah portion, which is a range from tremendous, almost unspeakable joy, to real bummer, to to some of the most difficult passages in the whole Torah to read, heavy and very, very um, ominous and very, very dark. And those are the, the, the verses of the admonition in this very same Torah portion of Kitavo, which begins with an expression of tremendous joy, as we're going to speak about it. So, but it's not, it's not Hashem's doing. It's not even, I wouldn't even describe it as consequences. It is the natural progression and result of whether or not we are connecting ourselves to Hashem or disconnecting ourselves to Hashem. The same thing with the new light that's coming in this year, that the shofar, is, the shofar blasts are preparing us to, to soften our hearts, to open up our hearts in the deepest way to receive the new light that's coming in. 
Yeah, though it's always a, uh, instructive to look at the very last uh, component of each parish uh, uh, Torah portion. I always look at the last thing, the last uh, bit of instruction in the previous week's parsha, and and the, what is la- last week's parsha ended with um, Amalek, and Amalek is all about doubt and all about wondering if there's goodness in the world and if if people have goodness in them and if God is good and if we can, you know, Amalek is all that. And and God presents us with that and then answers it with this next the beginning of this Parsha this love week. It. I love it. You're, you're on to something. That is a very, very, um, I think, solid uh, idea of of um, hooking up the Parsha that way, because the fact is, Amalek, which concluded our Parshat Kitetze last week, is not only about doubt, which is its main its main power, really, is like to doubt that Hashem is real, to doubt that Hashem loves us, to doubt that Hashem is good, to doubt that we deserve anything. Everything is doubt, doubt, doubt. But also, Amalek is predicated on denial and the lack of appreciation. And like in our Zoom classes that we've been having on Sunday, um, one of the things that, that's come up many times when we've studied about prayer and we've studied about um, many other aspects of uh, Adam HaRishon in the Garden of Eden, you know, I keep saying to, to the group, the universe is based on thankfulness. And appreciation that that is like the basis, the foundation of everything. It's like, it's like like King David says, uh, every breath that you take. That's the way he ends the whole book of Psalms. Is kohan shamata with every breath. You know the word the word for soul neshama and the word for breath neshima are connected because the the soul is Hashem's breath, as it were, inside of us. But with every breath, we have to thank Hashem. And the whole idea of making a blessing before we eat something, the whole idea of praying to Hashem, thanking Him, is all about the fact that you know when we pray, you know, we might think it's kind of like a selfish or self-serving thing because we're asking for something for ourselves. Let's say, but the idea is on a deeper level, prayer is the nourishment of the universe. Yeah. And, and and you know why is it? I, I I keep saying this also. Like the Psalms and different verses in in Torah are all about thanking Hashem and praising and praising and praising and praising and praising, 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 extolling Him, Lord Him, glorifying Him. Why does He need that? Does it go to His head? God forbid. Is He like His swelled head? Like Hashem needs to hear how great He is? No, that's not what it is at all. It's not what it is. Is that when we speak of Hashem with appreciation, we are we are propping up creation and we are literally giving uh, energy and and empowering life and creation because everything the basis of everything is to say thank you to Hashem to appreciate Hashem that's what it, that's really what it's all about so here you you're moving as you said from Parshat Kitetze last week which is the end of chapter 25 of Deuteronomy where we have a Malek who represents the total opposite of all of this is represents to, you know the total me uh total selfishness total being god as it were you know and then we come to parashat kitavo and and uh, as i mentioned in, in this week's video also again that, that idea that the names of all the parsha reflect the ideas of Elul, right? Like we had, we had Shoftim, which is about appointing judges in your own gate, you know, be, to take responsibility. We had Kitetze, which is about going, going out to against your enemy, which is the enemy within. And now Kitavo means when you will arrive, when you will arrive at your destiny, when you, when you. That's what we're all about now. We're about arriving into the new year, about arriving at who we are as well, about our spiritual destiny. And Kitavo enters, uh, begins with this. It's actually, it kind of like begins with a vision in a way, because don't forget, and this is just a, a, a twinge, an element uh, of pathos, uh, uh, you know, of angst that, that I always reflect upon. Moshe is not going in. He's not going in. Mm-hmm. He's describing every aspect of life. I wonder how he felt about that. You know, I wonder about the, about that painful experience. But again, he loves his people so much. He, he wanted more than anything else to go in, but he, all of these parshiot are preparing his people to go in. And by the way, Parshat Kitavo kind of seals off that the whole book of Deuteronomy 
in terms of everything he's been doing until now, in, in terms of the review and the preparation of for them for them going in, and and also all of the new commandments that he's given, like like last week alone there were seventy four mitzvot, because the last four Torah portions that we're going to be learning about Nitzavim Vayelech Ha'azinu and Vezot Bracha, beginning next week, those last four Torah portions were all said on the same day, on the day of Moshe's death. It kind of stirring to me that Moshe is is speaking so much about going into the land of Israel, and so now. He's at, he actually is is giving over to the people uh, this commandment of the first fruits, and it, it, to me it's it's like a, this vision that he's having of what life is going to be for the people of Israel in the land, which again he's not participating in, not in this lifetime. And he tells them, when you enter into the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, you're going to take the first of every fruit of the ground that you bring in from your land that Hashem your God gives you and should put it in a basket and go to the place that Hashem your God will choose to make his name rest there. This is the whole idea of the Bikurim, the first fruits. And uh, it is a special commandment that is applicable only in the land of Israel, not in any other Jewish community anywhere in the world. Can't be done as, just as it can't be done with a tangerine or an apricot or a watermelon, nice as those things are. It's only done with the seven species for which species, the land of Israel is praised, and that is um, wheat and barley and pomegranates and figs and grapes and uh, and olives and and dates. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a whole process that the that the um, farmer, the Jewish individual, actually sees the first of his fruits ripening and actually marks it with a with a band, with a string, and he actually designates it as the first fruits. He brings it to Yerushalayim, to the Holy Temple, <clears throat> brings it to the priest there, and it's this has all taken place, even though it's not an offering that is slaughtered, It's uh, it takes place in the proximity of the altar, right in front of the altar, which is so powerful because this is where Adam was created. It takes place right there. And he waves it together with the Kohen, with the priest, and <clears throat> he makes this declaration. And the declaration that we find here in the beginning of the Parsha is like a very concise <clears throat> history of the entire nation of Israel and his own personal history. And it's all, again, about thanking Hashem. And at the end of the, of the process of, of, of his... Um, of his of his confession, as it were, of thankfulness and bringing us to this place, and um, he he takes the fruit and he puts it down by the altar, and then he bows down. He actually prostrates himself, and that whole concept of prostration, which is a very very deep and important idea in the Torah, that's what we're going to be speaking about more in our video this week. The whole idea of what does it mean to prostrate oneself before the presence of Hashem? It's not what people think at all. And the verse tells us, you shall rejoice with all the goodness that Hashem your God has given you in your household. So, so the thing about this, this um, whole idea of the bringing of the first fruits, according to our sages as well, who describe it in detail in, in, in the tractate of the Mishnah, Bikurim, that explains all the details of how the commandment of the first fruits is, is fulfilled, it's, it's described as being this incredibly moving, joyous occasion. You know, So on the one hand, it's like, it's like um, I've I've always considered it to be so amazing that, you know, you take a moment wh which could have been if a person is godless or if a person is centered on their own their own uh, power, you know, uh, the moment when the ma the man who's worked all this time works so hard, his he has something to show for it. His produce is ripened and it's beautiful. If we were godless people, then you know he would be basically he would stand there like a wolf and just devour this fruit like on, on the spot. It's like there couldn't be more of a me moment than this. Like I worked hard. This is my moment. This is it. Here it is. Give it to me. So what does he do? He exercises like tremendous restraint, and he and the right. Mishnah describes how he he goes onto his field and he sees something that ripened, uh, a, a pomegranate, a, a grape, a fig, and he ties a ribbon around it. And he declares with his mouth, this is the first fruit. And then he, he waits, he puts it in a basket, he brings it up to Yerushalayim. And so, and so after all his hard work, basically he's saying, I, I didn't do this, Hashem. 
I, I don't know how this this happened. It's a miracle. I couldn't. I can't mm. explain how how life comes from a, a rotted seed. So so you did it. You did it. And he and he waits. And he and he then he eats it sanctified in Yerushalayim. And I want to point out. Well, too, best, go ahead. Yeah. The best part of it is is that not only does the first fruit uh, signify it as being the the first uh, full uh, effect of the harvest, it is the best of the fruits. And this 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 dynamic harkens all the way back to Gan Eden, and and the time of of Cain and and Abel bringing their own first fruits, and and how that is a template for humanity, but it is all it is also a a kind of a, a template for God saying this is how you should um, this is this is exactly how you should you should conduct these these offerings is is to bring the best of the harvest. And Cain didn't want that. He, Cain, basically said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get grab some stuff that I'm gonna, I'm gonna get rid of anyway, and I'm, I'm gonna offer it up." And yet, what did, what did Hebel, what did Abel do? He brought the, the, the best of his own flock. And um, of course, what's interesting about it, about that is, is that, um, is the fact that Cain was gonna bring. Cain was already an agrarian already. He was actually growing things and yet he reje- his his own rejection of Hashem and that idea of being grateful that's that's the key that a lot of people miss that that's the dynamic going on in this parsha is God is asking is is showing you is showing the people of Israel that that to to maintain um your connection to me all you have to do is be grateful and that's again, what was Jim, going on. I, I got yeah. I got to remind you, Torah for everyone is what we're all about. This is this is the directed to Israel, and it's the pa- it's the paradigm, as it were, of this mitzvah. But the message is for all people, for everyone. The message is that gratitude and thankfulness to Hashem is the key to life. We're only here by virtue of God's blessing. We're we're only able to we only have reached this point in time because we have been so abundantly blessed. People talk about the immigration problem. We have an immigration problem because everybody wants to come to this country, and we we're going to lose it if we if we forget being grateful to God for living the way that we live right now. At this point, thank God, we're able to exist with all of the shutdowns. People still have enough to eat. You know, they're complaining about what's on Netflix. <laughs> you know <laughs> so two things i want to say about this gratitude thing which are which are embedded in our story here of the first fruits and i, I want you to know this is this subject is so dear to my heart and it's and it's something that we could talk about for 2000 years there's so much detail and i always want to remind everyone all the sincere and dedicated students of torah out there that are listening to us following following classes participating in zoom whenever we give over anything jim it's only one level it's only one idea there's so many more ideas but how much can can you do at once you know every every year we try to go deeper and deeper i want to mention two things about this scenario though one is is really um an amazing amazing thought and it goes back to parshat shalach it goes back to the terrible uh the terrible incident of the spies when it when in chapter 13 about the spies we read, they arrived at the valley of Eshkol and cut from there a vine with one cluster of grapes and bore it on a double pole and of the pomegranate and of the figs. So, as I told you, there are seven species of the land of Israel and actually goes back to Parshat Ekev, which we read uh, not long ago. And Parshat Ekev... In chapter um, 8 and verse 8, we read, A land of wheat, barley, grape, fig, and pomegranate. A land of oil, olives, and date honey. Meaning, when we have that expression about the land flowing with honey, it's talking about the honey from tamarim, from dates. But anyway, so those are the seven species. So then, since those are the seven species, once again, wheat, barley, grape, fig, pomegranate, oil, olives, and date honey, this is specifically what Hashem is kind of... Um, 
giving over in terms of the praise of the land. And in fact, this is referred to as the seven species for which the land of Israel is praised. So my question is, if you open up your heart in the deepest way, this is something very interesting here. If those are the seven species, why is it that the Mishnah, which is the main body of the halacha, of the law, that is of, of the Torah, which is uh, developed in the oral tradition, when the Mishnah in Tractate Bikurim, which is all about the first fruit, when it describes how the first fruit are brought in the procession to Jerusalem, it mentions only three. It mentions grapes, pomegranates, and figs, even though the verse tells us that there are many more species. And so this is so deep. This is really saying is that when the individual brings the first fruits to Jerusalem to the temple, it is a tikkun for the spies. Ah, of course. You know what tikkun means. In other words, it's like a fixing. It's, it's a, a repair. It's a repair for yeah. the spiritual damage that was caused by the ungratitude mm-hmm. of the spies and the spies who manipulated these fruits to try to use it to their advantage to say, oh, look at these huge fruits. It's not a normal place. So the Mishnah yeah. says, these, these, Mishnah specifies these fruits because the act of bringing the first fruits to the temple is basically trying to undo the damage of the spies and to say to Hashem, yes, we do appreciate everything about this land. Yes, we do thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's you know, one. The, the, the agricultural aspect about Eretz Israel is I, I think sometimes lost on people because when you, when you first visit Israel the first time, almost everybody always remarks at how tiny Eretz Israel, the land of Israel is. I mean, it's 50 miles from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River, and it's about twice that long, you know, the the length of Israel. It's the size of New Jersey. And what I have always found um, very inspiring is the fact that when God says it's it's a land, you know, running with, you know, with milk and honey, of course, it means date honey and, and, you know, uh, which is where we get our, is that if you know anything about the agrarian aspects of farming and, and, and ranching, the uh, the other thing that people remark about Israel is its macroclimates, is how you you can drive 10 minutes and you have a different climate. That's so true. And, and, and the... the uh, the, forecast, the weather forecast is such a small country. Like I said, it's ridiculously small. And yet the weather... Right. Weather forecast will give you the the temperatures in all the cities and their tremendous differences. Well, and what I'm getting at is that you need you need specific kinds of soil to grow all seven of these uh, of the the, ble- the the blessed fruits and 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 uh, the wheats and and for instance, you know, for grapes, you need limestone. Grapes love limestone. And what and, and parts of Eretz Israel are abundant in limestone. You need a certain kind of uh, ground to grow wheat. Uh, the same thing for olives and for fig trees. So within this this very compact land, one of the most compact on the face of the earth, the land actually has a variety within that area that is very specifically designed to for each of those seven fruits to to flourish. And that's a that's a miracle when you think about it in terms of of uh, of farming and 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 growth, and it, I, I think it's another way. It's a it's a very subtle way that Hashem is saying Israel is a microcosm of the nations, and it's it, to the point. It is another uh, layer of of your your message of Torah for everyone, because because everything that goes on in Eretz Israel is a model for the way the rest of the nations should conduct themselves. You know, if you're a nation, a small nation that is, uh, that is sustained by growing grapes, you know, one could look at the, the uh, agronomy of growing grapes and, and take models from that. Um, and it, it's, it's Israel that, that actually at the turn of the century and into the 1900s that, that uh, taught the rest of the world how to grow things with very little water. They pioneered in irrigation. And, and so this is in and even now the Israel um, technology in terms of irrigation and hydroponics is uh, going out all over the world. Um, it's remarkable. Um, 
uh, I have a, a relative by marriage who actually is one of the innovators of uh, organic hydroponic f- farming here in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know what? I, w- I was in Lubbock, Texas, uh, in the airport, and there was a huge uh, billboard uh, in the terminal about an Israeli-made uh, drip irrigation system. Right, that's, be, that's yeah. being used by by local farmers. Yeah, and that was that was pioneered in Eretz Israel years and years ago, decades ago. So the the um, I, I just I think it all points us back to this Torah parsha in in showing that that uh, you were talking about the levels. There is the there is the spiritual level, but there is also within this it it's turning the the uh, the it's turning all of us back to say Israel will also teach you how to grow and how to feed your peoples. The, the uh, it's part of the commission of being a, a light to the nations it is even being fulfilled uh, at, at, at the table uh, of Israel. By the way, as we speak, and, and I say this just because people sometimes are, are critical of um, the American Israeli Alliance and they ask what, what Israel says for America. I want you to know that as we speak, there's a team of Israeli firefighters that flew to California uh, and they are now um, volunteering and risking their lives to aid in the local firefighters in all the terrible fires that are sweeping California right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and that, that goes on all the time. That goes on all the time. Uh, this, these teams that are sent out to disaster areas. And you would think that a country as tiny as yours would not have the resources to do that. And, and I think it all goes back to the Parsha. You, the, the, uh, a people that can do that are people who are grateful for, for the knowledge and the gifts that God has given them and says, we want to share this knowledge uh, uh, with the rest of the world in terms of helping other, other nations in times of need. I'll never forget one of the most moving experiences, also on a, the, the theme of an airport. I was in, I was in um, Boston, and um, I had uh, excess luggage. And I knew that I had to pay for my excess luggage. You know that, Jim. Yes. And um, <laughs> I was doing curbside check-in, and the agent... Um, was doing, you know, was processing my whole my family that was traveling with me, and he looked at me, and he and I said, I have this luggage. I know I have to pay for it. I got my credit card ready. He said, I'm going to do you last. And then finally, like it got to be my turn and everything. And then I was ready, and I I knew it was going to be expensive because I had a few suitcases. And he said to me, No, no. I'll never forget what your people did for my country. And he was from Haiti. Mm. And when uh, Haiti, and Haiti had its terrible earthquake, yeah, yeah. Israel, Israel sent a, a team uh, and set up a field hospital immediately. That's right. And all these Haitian babies were born that were named Israel. And this beautiful man, he was like so emotional, and he said to me, "No, no, I can't. I, I can't possibly charge you." Like he made the decision. <laughs> I don't know if he got in trouble with the airline. He said, "No, no, I can. I can decide that." He said, "I'm not." He said, "I'll never forget what your people did for my country." Yeah. Anyway, I, I think that yeah, that 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 component of of Israel constantly providing this model, and and not just that, but also teachings and technology and a spiritual guidance. We see that as as they're commanded by uh, Hashem through Moses, they're preparing and and this the remarkable uh, idea of setting up the stones. As I know you want to get to that. I know you want to get to the yeah. stones. I'm not going to forget. I mentioned this idea about the um, the tikkun, you know, for the spies with the, the the fruits that are named. You know, you know how Rabbi Akiva says this famous uh, statement. Uh, the great Rabbi Akiva says that the the whole Torah on one foot is via love your neighbor as yourself, and the rest is commentary. And he said that's the major principle of of the Torah, right? And Hillel. Exactly. So so. Um, Let's say that that's regarding, you know, there's two, two halves of Torah, as it were. There's the ben adam l'chavero and ben adam l'makom, which means that there are those parts of Torah, those commandments that are applicable between man and his fellow man. And then there's parts of the Torah that are only between a man and God. So when it comes to the things, the way we treat other people, commandments that are applicable to our fellow man, that's, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But what is, what is the whole Torah on one foot when it comes to the other half of the Torah, when it comes to our relationship with Hashem? I would say that it is gratitude, as we've been talking about, the basis of everything, foundation of everything, the bedrock of life on earth is thanking and recognizing Hashem, which of course, again is what this process of bringing the first fruits is, is all about and the opposite of a malek. But there's one thing here that I just, I'd say it over every year to every chance I, I get in this Parsha because I think it's one of the most remarkable, remarkable ideas. And it's very simple. You know, the, I, I quoted this verse before that you take the first fruit of, the first of every fruit of the ground that you bring in from, the, from your land that Hashem your God gives you and you should put it in a basket. And go to the place that Hashem, your God, will choose to make his name rest there. So in Hebrew, v'samta batena. Tena is this word. It's, uh, it's not a common word. And it's a basket. And the word is made up of three letters. Tet nun aleph. That's the word tene. Tet nun aleph. Three letters, right? Mm-hmm. So the Baal Shem Tov... Uh, who is sometimes in his commentary very cryptic and very very um, piercing in his, in his amazing insight. He says a very simple thing on this. He says, what is tene? This word tene, a basket, which is made up of three letters. Ta'amim nekudot otiot. He says that, hmm. stan- that stands for ta'amim are the the, the musical uh, marks, the, the cantillation marks of the letters of the Torah. Nikudot is the vowelization. And otiot is the letter. So now he's saying that the word tene, which means basket, is, can be seen as an acronym of these three letters, which represent basically how to articulate. There are three aspects of articulation are the musical note of the, of the word, the vowelization of how to pronounce it, and the letter itself. And that's all he says. And after thinking about this for something like 50 years, all of a sudden, uh, later in life, I began to understand what it was that he meant, and it hit me, and it's so simple, and it's so beautiful. He's basically saying, I just think this is just like so profound, he's basically saying, the basket that you put these fruits in is made up of words. It's made right. up of, of speech, of, 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 because the, our words are made up of these three aspects and so what do you, why do you put them in a tenna, in a basket? Because the vehicle that conveys the first fruits to Yerushalayim, to the Holy Temple, in this tremendous act that, which will crescendo in the, in, the, in the prostration that we'll speak about in, the, in our video lesson this week, it's made up of, of your acknowledgement and your, and your ability to say, to speak, to articulate, thank you to Hashem. Again, the opposite of of Amalek yeah. is to be able to come clean and say, Hashem, this is all you. It's all you. So it's, it's, I, I like to call this a basket made of words. That's amazing. So Jim, the, I, um, I know you want to talk about yeah. these, these, these stones and I do too. We're talking of course about this um, incredible um, part of uh, our Parsha that begins in chapter 27 with this, um, with Moshe telling the elders of Israel to command the people uh, that there's going to be a new, there's going to be a ceremony when you go into the uh, the land. In fact, on the very day, the very first day, talk about the stress of moving day, right? The very first day that you cross the Jordan, you're going to set up these great stones and coat them with plaster and inscribe on them all the words of the Torah, so that you may enter the land that Hashem your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and you cross the Jordan, you erect these stones and coat them with plaster, and there you should build an altar, you should inscribe on the stones all the words of this Torah, well clarified. Be'er hetev, well clarified, means, according to many, uh, many of our sages, it means that it was, they were to be written in every language spoken. All 70 languages. Yeah. All 70 languages. And then they were plastered over again. They were, they were whitewashed over. So if you're going to write them, why are they going to be plastered over? So there's many, many questions about this event um, that Israel actually was, uh, was told, basically, if we understand this, to cross the Jordan, enter the land, and on that very day, set up these huge monumental stones, plaster them, write on them all the words of the Torah. It's their first day in the land. 
I mean, really, right. this is what they're doing immediately upon entering. And so why uh, were they were they commanded to travel? By the way, traveling all the way to Mount Evel, which is quite a distance from the Jordan River. And by the way, it's also in the heart of enemy, enemy territory. And there they're going to build an altar. They're going to write the words of the Torah on the stones. And then that very day, they're also going to travel to Gilgal. And then in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, in chapter 4, we, we learn even more details about this incredible event that there were 12 stones that, that were to be taken from the places. Jim, I don't know if you, if you put this together, but it's, it's just staggering what happened here. When the Kohanim stepped into the Jordan, they're carrying the well, Ark of right? And, and this, yeah. there are stones placed, the, their feet are touching stones in the Jordan. Those stones were brought to the nation's first stop. So, that, so, so th it was these stones, and then Joshua came in, the 12 other stones we placed in the river uh, under, the, under the feet of the Kohen, replacing those that were taken. So, th so these are the stones that were taken from the Jordan, uh, from the Jordan, and basically, it was these stones um, that were used in Mount Abel and in Gilgal. So, what, what is this? What is this? What is this really all about? They traveled all the way to the area of Shechem, which is almost twenty miles, and they established the altar on Mount Abel. And they disassembled it. They brought the stones to Gilgal, and and again, the words of the Torah were written on these stones, and um, well clarified means that they were written in seventy languages, all the spoken languages of the world at that time. And um, taken from the bottom of the Jordan River, plastered over, and um, it's a, it's just absolutely incredible because because this is the very first thing that the nation is commanded to do before settling in. And uh, don't you think that don't you think that the you, the thing that fascinates me about this is the is the potential archaeological find this this could represent someday is finding these twelve stones that would be. That would be so uh, amazing in terms of providing Welcome like a insight. true archaeologist. Well, I, I mean, this is one of the things that you know. The, I'm always wondering about what we're going to find to to open up our. Knowledge I know you and Hillel. And you, why don't you get together with my son Hillel and, and just have a blast? I'm working on. It. I'm working <laughs> on it. The, the, thi the thing that the, the other thing that I think is remarkable is that these stones symbolically represent two other um, dynamics for the people of Israel. They seem to be a kind of mezuzah, if you will. Wow. That is uh, when you when you enter a enter the place that you're going to inhabit, one of the first things you do in your new home is you put up a mezuzah, which which has the words some, some words of Torah inside that. So in a way, this has always sounded to me like God is saying, I want you to put up mezuzot, mezuzahs, uh, before you enter the land, because it's considered the entrance. And the other thing is, I regard it as the the uh, planting a flag when you when you take a land and and you possess it, and it's almost a kind of deed, a deed written for. It's a deed because because within the Torah, we we all know are the demarcations of the borders of Israel. And so with with those words being on those stones written for all the nations to read, it's a declaration that, that God has given them this land and even tells the borders like a deed does. A deed tells you the, the quadrants and the, 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 the uh, perimeter, all of that. So all of again, that it's true. Yeah. I, I want to take it. I want to take it even further. I, sure. I think you're completely right. It is. It is a statement. It is a type of flag. I love the, the comparison to mezuzah. It's guarding the entrance as well. The thing is, I think this is extremely apropos to, um, exactly what we are, witnessing today in terms of the the new, peace, that we mm -hmm. have um, merited to with the uh, the Emirates and. And by the way, there's just so much excitement about this piece. Um, goodness, the um, it's being described as a warm piece. I mean, and 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 you know, there was a whole entourage of Israeli journalists that accompanied the diplomats, um, the Israeli diplomats and the American diplomats to the UAR, 
and they've been just they're writing about the incredible treatment that they got the kosher banquet that was fully yeah. fully um yeah. you know um supervised by a whole kosher service and they and they prayed with a minion and with they had a torah scroll and they blew the shofar in abu dhabi with the local jewish community and they were treated like royalty and uh, Netanyahu uh, saying, uh, this is going to be a warm peace. And, and that is kind of like, as opposed to the peace which we have with Jordan and Egypt, which is not exactly warm because they still call for the destruction of Israel from the floor of the parliament uh, every day. And this is not exactly warm. He's saying this is going to be a warm peace. And now Saudi Arabia, although they have made it clear that they are not going to be um, um, establishing relations with Israel until there's a Palestinian state. Yet today it's announced that um, not only did they allow this direct flight over Saudi Arabia from Israel to the United Arab Emirates and back, but today it was announced that that's going to be permanent, that they are allowing Israel's new direct flights to the United Arab Emirates to fly over Saudi Arabia, because until now, the only flights having to do with Israel that were allowed to fly over Saudi Arabia were Air, were Air India, which I personally flew last year. In fact, at this very during this very month of Elul, we traveled to India and we gave some seminars there to a wonderful group of people, and we flew Air India over Saudi Arabia. So, so all this is going on, and it's being hailed as a new era of peace for the region and that it's going to be blossoming into peace with more countries. And again, I spoke about this last week and I don't want to be in any way negative about this amazing opportunity and there's nothing like peace. And by the way, no one in the world wants and deserves peace, I think, as much as the people of Israel. And it's how we have been concluding our daily prayer three times a day for thousands of years. Um, Blessed are you, Hashem, who blesses the people of Israel with peace. And the thing is, that, you know, I have my reservations because of what Israel is really supposed to be all about, because of what we are what we are destined and mandated by Hashem to bring to the world. And the question is, is that what is that's what's being expected? Is that what we're going to be able to do? But, but bringing it home to exactly what our subject is right now, these stones, I want to remind you what the verse says here, because it's amazing. It says, uh, it shall be on the day that you cross the Jordan to the land that Hashem your God gives you. You shall set up great stones and you shall coat them with plaster. You shall inscribe on them all the words of this Torah when you cross over so that you may enter the land that Hashem your God gives you. That's Jim, that's amazing. You've already entered it and you're setting it up there. So mm -hmm. what does that mean? What does that even mean? You shall inscribe on them all the words of the Torah when you cross over so that you may enter the land is basically open up your heart in the deepest way. What I think this is saying very clearly is that your entire right to be in the land, your deed, as you said, to the land is the words of the Torah. So you're setting this up as a, as a reminder, as a testimony, as a monument. This is why you're entering into the land because of what's being written here. You're entering into the land to keep the Torah, to shine its light into the whole world, to bring that to the world. That's what you're all about. And that is your, your, your entire claim to this land. You have no other claim to this land, not anything else, not, not anything else. You do not deserve to be in this land other than the fact that the Torah is your, is your claim to it. And, and that, Jim, I think is is the perfect explanation of why it's written in every language, because it's mm -hmm. like it is like a it is like a, um, a a frequency that's being broadcast to the whole world, and and let the whole world know and 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 take note and let this be testimony. Why why would it need to be written in every language for Israel alone? It's a statement. It's a state. It's a statement that's being made that this is our entire claim and right to the land. This is why the land was given to us. This is the foundation of why it was given to us. This is our deeds to the land. And the entire world and all its population should understand that that only to Israel was the land given and to none other. Because again, in, 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 first of all, our claim to this land is constantly brought into doubt by so many, by, 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 by world leaders, by haters, by biased media, 
it's always the same story and it always remains incredibly contemporary, this issue of our rights to the land, because it's constantly being challenged uh, our true connection to this land. We're constantly being questioned by the nations of the world. Unlike any other nation in the world, we're constantly called upon to validate and justify and prove our right to exist in this land. Here it is. Here it is. It's these stones, you know? And, and, uh, and again, you can't be occupiers when you read this verse. You cannot be considered right. an occupier in your own land. How in the world can you occupy your land, right? It's just that everybody wants an apology that we're still alive. And since we seem to still be alive, even though we're being boycotted and destroyed and subdued, and we are guilty of apartheid and, be, and they're doing BDS and they're planning to kill us and all this stuff and pointing thousands of missiles at us at this very moment that we're speaking and setting fire to our land, Still in all, we are here, and we don't seem to be going anywhere. So so you have this peace process, which frankly is a beautiful, beautiful prophetic thing. But I just, I'm just saying, let's do it right. It's not about you know, eating hummus in Abu Dhabi, and it's not about economic tourism, and it's not about you know, globalism. It's, it can only be about what we are supposed to be about, which is bringing Hashem to the world, bringing the world to the Holy Temple, and uplifting humanity in, in, in the service of Hashem. If, if, if we get that from this, then everything is exactly the way it should be. And, and the stones, you know, we mentioned it being a kind of a national mezuzah and a deed and everything. And the, the idea is that this very first act of writing Torah on these stones so that you read them as you enter the land, it establishes that the, that the people of the Torah are not a religion. The people of the Torah, the Jewish people, are a nation. Say it. And the, say it. The, the nation. <laughs> Amen. No, I mean this, this is my this is my mantra. You know that, and, and yes. because I, 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 I think that. I'm with you. I, I think when when people when people who profess to be who who profess to love Israel and to uh, even Jews who who profess to love Torah in Israel, when they say this phrase that they should just should strike from their mouth and never say again. You know, shum uh, devar, as you say in Israel, don't say, you know, the idea that don't say that when you say the world's three great religions, eh, wrong, don't say that. Because because Judaism should should not be considered a religion. It should be considered a nationality. And and this this is, I think, in, in Kitavo and the, the setting up of these stones with the Torah on them, the very first act, as you pointed out, that is done it is establishing Israel as a nation. Yes, a holy nation whose, whose very laws govern a holy kind of life should be, again, It's the reason I think that's so important is that God is saying again to the world, this is how a nation that I created functions. And if you want to have a nation that, that lives and thrives and is a blessing on the earth, this is a model for how your nation should be administered and, and again, administrated. For, for a lot of Jewish people, Jim, it's a, it's a, it's a sticks in the throat. It sticks in the throat. It's uncomfortable because they will put one, two and two together, one, one, or two and two, and realize that if you are a nation and not a religion, then uh, it follows that you have to act like a nation and, and you're out of, you're out of your place if you are right. a nation. And, and you know, the, the irony is that the anti-Semites, they do seem to know that we're a nation. The way they talk about the Jews, they're not mm -hmm. talking about a religion. They're talking about the Jews. They understand that, we, that the Jews are a people. And I have to tell you that's something. The way Haman, that's the way Haman in the yes. story of Esther, he says, he warns the king. He says, there is a nation within our own nation. That's the danger. They, 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 they. Uh, he realized that 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 the Jews could never let go of their, the sovereignty that God gave them by creating a nation at Sinai. And the Jewish and communities said, all right. over the world are going through terrible upheaval, and it's a time of of um, self examination and introspection because of of the terrible losses that the community has sustained, loss of life from COVID. And it's like, like many other people, we're, you know, going through all of this difficulty. And so, and, and you know, now we're all over the world in Israel as well, but Jewish communities are facing, you know, the reality of social distancing when it comes to prayers for the holidays and how, how is this going to be structured and organized and so many issues from going back to first grade and, and going back to school to 
to weddings and and funerals and and the continuation of community life, right? And so they're they're, they're you know innovative people and coming up with all sorts of guidelines and all sorts of um, of conclusions and interim conclusions and advice on how on how to weather this storm and and try mm-hmm. to uh, and try to regroup and, and and try to strengthen ourselves, which is a basic survival instinct and something that we have to do. But what bothers me about all of this, and I say I say with love and and respect and concern, deep concern for the Jewish people uh, that are in the diaspora, especially the last great diaspora of America. I say that when I when I read all of these incredible you know, kind of like um, um, uh, these incredible pieces that are being written by community leaders and all sorts of things about directions that need to be taken and in the wake of everything that's going on with COVID, etc. I don't see that they're coming to the conclusion that they need to seriously consider coming to Israel en masse. You do, yeah. have, you do hear more of that. There is more of a demand for making Aliyah now than there has been in recent years. There's a, a waiting list there. Definitely, France is emptying out. You know that. Europe is en- emptying out of its Jewish population, and they are coming home. And there definitely are also Jews from North America that are, that are realizing that they want to come home to Israel. But not enough. Not, not enough. And that's one conclusion that I wish that they would also be open to Hashem's signaling that the time has come for the voluntary galut to implode mm-hmm. of its own and for and for the Jewish people to strengthen itself and come home and together uh, greet the redemption that's that's what we really need and and so and so mm-hmm. it, it's just ironic because again it is it is taking place in to some small extent but but what I really believe that's going on now is a tremendous opportunity for the House of Israel to unite and to bring it on, to bring on what we, what we are promised to that we must bring on, which is mm-hmm. ultimately the the redemption of humanity. We're all, we're only going to do that by being at home, by building the Holy Temple, and by shining that that signal to the whole world. Well, and this is a great place. You've just made a, a, a perfect place to do a segue into the balance of this Parsha, where we have all of this joy and, and all of the, the wonderful fallout that takes place from keeping the mitzvah, from growing the, the, the fruits of the land and prospering. And God suddenly does a 180, and now it, it we're about to take what could be considered a very dark turn in the very it's, same It's part. a difficult Parsha. It's definitely can, can be very, very difficult to read because in this very Torah portion that begins with the, with this incredible vision of coming into the land and bringing the first fruits and really being connected in every way. Uh, and, and, you know, then they have the ceremony and they go to Mount Grisim and Mount, Mount Abel and they have the very concise blessings there and the very concise uh, curses there, and then we begin later in chapter twenty-eight, around verse fifteen. We begin this uh, litany of what's called admonitions, a very, very frightening, sobering, um, dark, and foreboding warnings of what will transpire. Again, after in the beginning of, of chapter twenty-eight, there are, there are very concise blessings about. Very, very general, which is basically all that a person could ask for as well in terms of security, in terms of prosperity, in terms of, of happiness and health. But the admonitions, they're, uh, they're long and they are very, very, very difficult to read. They are a horrific vision of um, existential angst and isolation and... Um, just being floating with the universe kind of in a, in a way that's not with Hashem and these, I don't want to call them punishments, these consequences, these results that come about, mm-hmm. which again, right. I don't think it has to be hard to read. I think it's, and I, and I don't think that Hashem is saying, nah, nah. I don't think he's saying, I told you so. I don't think he's saying I'm, I'm going to get you at all. That isn't the way it works. It's that this is for a Jew, the only possibility of life 
is in the framework of an existence of Hashem. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're, we're totally <clears throat> lost. We're, we're like disembodied mm-hmm. souls. It's like ghoulish. It's like a zombie right. movie. We're, 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 it, it, we're nowhere. We're just nowhere. And that's, that's yeah, how I understand they, these terrible, terrible premonition, premonitions. Right. They, 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 have a, they have a very distinct quality of a prophecy to them. <clears throat> and as, excuse me. And as we see in history, these these prophecies play out. Yes, but, th- again, th- I just want. Yeah, but, I know your position about that. Before you said, I just want to say there are there are varying opinions. Did they come true? Did they come true? Was this fulfilled in the Holocaust? Is this fulfilled? Well, that's not what I'm. That's not where I'm going. What I'm what I'm saying is I want to I want to in support of what you're saying. We don't want to view these as um, I told you so's at all. What what I think what you're saying to clarify it is it's no different than us telling our children, you see that that street with with heavy traffic, uh, please know that if you run out in the middle of that street, you will get hit by a car. You know, if you drink, if you eat that food or you drink that poison, it will hurt you. God is saying that that there are there are uh, consequences. To, to your own to decision, to your own decisions, and exactly, I always use this yeah. expression: a spiritual maturity. You know that we need to mm-hmm. be, have a certain level of spiritual maturity. So it's like God is saying, like you know, I take you people very seriously. Don't you think it's time for you to take yourself seriously? This isn't a game. If you're responsible for the for, for the for the spiritual betterment of the world, I hope you're taking it seriously. But there is you one. Know, you you can't you can't tempt God. You can't. It, God is 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 calling out to His people in this parsha and saying, "If you reject Me and you don't want My help, this is what life is like without My help. If you totally don't want Me, okay, I'll, God will even leave them alone. Yes, <clears throat> He'll leave any of us alone. Yes, and and He's saying, but you, if like you said, being cast away, being adrift. Yes, th- if you reject God's help. You don't want his help. You're on then, your own. Then you're on your own. It's a dystopian. You're on your own. It's a dis, this dystopian, like um, twinner, uh, negative worldview of 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 being like caught in some sort of vortex of being cut off. That's that's really what it is. And and, and it's like if that's what you want. But the but the interesting thing is, especially on th- I think about your your metaphor about the the parent who warns his child. There's all these incredible things here, but it's just it's so difficult to read. And there's a climax here. It's not even at the end. There's a climax uh, sort of towards towards a little bit past the middle. And it's so unusual. It's so unusual, and it and it brings us back completely to the beginning of the Parsha and to everything that we were discussing about um, how sweet life can be, as as Dylan says, in the very beginning of the Parsha, Jim. Because in all of these terrible, terrible admonitions about what will happen if you turn your back on Hashem, there's a crescendo, and the crescendo is verse 47. And it's so amazing, because this is what verse 47 says. Why is all of this happening? Why is all of this happening? Because you did not serve Hashem your God amid gladness and goodness of heart when everything gladness. was abundant. So it doesn't it doesn't say it doesn't even say the reason that all of this is happening is because you did not keep Sabbath. The reason all this is happening is because you did such and such. It doesn't even say the reason all this is happening is because you committed idolatry. It doesn't say anything about any terrible combination of things that someone could do. Instead, it says the whole reason that this is happening is because you did not serve Hashem. And again, serve Hashem means live because everything that we do is serving Hashem. You did not serve Hashem, your God, amid gladness and goodness of heart when everything was abundant. And and that means, by the way, realizing that everything you have is exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. So 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 everything here is is blamed as it were on one thing and one thing alone not that you committed some terrible series of sins but that you weren't happy that you didn't that again it's all about appreciating hashem right that's because that's the connection because if it, if you do appreciate him yeah. then you're not going to find yourself in the situation of being cut off because you're going to want to be with him in this world right because lack of gratitude literally is Forgetting why things are good for you, forgetting your source, forgetting that that 
you know, it's a kind of a, what is the word, ennui, where you, you get to the point where you're, you, you're so prosperous and you're so full and you've eaten too much and suddenly you, and, and you're not grateful. And when you're not grateful, it's a kind of a loss of memory. It's, it's a forgetting who gave you these things and who put you in the position you're in. And this actually, you, you will find, ties in very strongly with my video message this week because it's really the difference between are you totally focused on yourself or are you able to transcend yourself and connect to Hashem? That's really what it's all Amen. about. So Amen. it's just that the Parsha is just quintessential as far as it being just a, a total encompassing picture of the extremes that await us and and Hashem's recipe really for us to, to, to constantly get the most out of life and, and like I always say, become the people that we should be able to become with His help. And it's mm-hmm. a challenge that it's it's a challenge that is extremely honed for us and and sharpened during these days of Elul as we prepare. Well, for the new sitting light here coming in my, into the world. my home, my home, my my beautiful home in Arkansas that God has blessed me with. Hearing your words coming from Zion is a, to me a a, a a a call to to the people in this country that this is a message for all of the world and especially for this country right now today. Your words from from your Torah is a, a warning that that uh, we, we need to remember to be grateful in, in this country Amen. For, for what we have. Because we, we really are seeing, we're seeing people who have, who don't know, who, who don't realize that they're well off. And uh, we just need to be grateful. Like, I mean, that's just, you can't be simpler than a message like that. Let's bless everyone with peace, health, gratitude, thankfulness, and um, getting ready to receive the light of the new year. May it be for good. May it be the best ever. May we be growing closer to each other, not further away, closer to Hashem, filling the world with light. Just want to remind all of our wonderful listeners about our Sunday Zoom classes that uh, are open to anyone who's interested in participating. You can contact me at rabbi at rabbirichmond.com for login information and also for recordings of past lessons. We're having a great time together. Thank you very much also, Jim, for being here with me today on Jerusalem Lights. Thank you, Rabbi. Wonderful, beautiful insight. And... um, good to see you there in Arkansas. Amen. It's good to be seen. Keep the light shining. Amen. Shalom. Shalom.